Hello, you're listening to No Such Word as Can't with me, Hazel McBride. I was always told growing up that there was no such word as can't, and I genuinely believe that that mentality instilled a belief in me that anything was possible if I just set my mind to it. As someone who started off with a seemingly impossible dream and somehow made it my reality, I want to help more people achieve their goals by giving them actionable advice, as well as sharing stories from others who have done the same. Today, I get to welcome Kamel Zodro, Animal Care Program Manager of the Clearwater Marine Aquarium. Welcome to the podcast, Kamel. Well, thank you very much for having me, Hazel. Thank you. You are more than welcome. I'm so excited to sit down and chat with you and pick your brain today. But for anyone um, who isn't familiar with with CMA or with who you are, could you give yourself a brief introduction? So a little bit about um, myself. I graduated from um, University of South Florida many, many, many years ago. Um, I have a degree in zoology. Um, I've been in um, this animal care world now for 25 years. Um, I started at um, Sea Life Park in Hawaii. I worked for Discovery Cove uh, for 10 years, and I've been with the Clearwater Marine Aquarium now for 12. Um, I have loved every minute of my animal care journey. Started as I was a little girl. Um, I am living um, my dream of always wanting to work with animals. Um, Clearwater Marine Aquarium, we are um, an animal hospital. We specialize in the rescue and rehabilitation um, of marine life. And if we cannot release them, we try to provide forever homes to those animals. Yeah, it's incredible. If anyone who's listening to this podcast isn't familiar with CMA, I would be very surprised um, because you guys are one of, I think, one of the best known facilities in the world now, you know, obviously, thanks to the movies and stuff that have that have come out and are now cherished by a lot of a lot right. of kids worldwide. Um, so that's amazing that working with marine mammals was always your dream and um, started off at Sea Life Park. How did you end up over there? So fun story is um, I had one class left to finish for my degree, and that was organic chemistry. And I dreaded um, taking that at USF. So I put it off to the very end. Um, I ended up spending a semester at University of Hawaii and taking that class there. Um, just to take the sting out of it a little bit like I, well, you know if I'm gonna have to study this I'm gonna study it in Hawaii <laughs> I mean of all places to take it, it it wasn't bad um I wanted to um, stay in Hawaii with my sister who was living there and I told her in order to do that University of Hawaii had to be offering that class I needed a job the whole ball of wax so I started working on getting jobs, getting cars, getting um, settled in with the University of Hawaii. And I happened to be looking in the want ads in the newspaper, which is something that we don't do anymore. I'm dating myself a lot. Um, and I saw that Sea Life Park was hiring for an aquarist. And I was like, well, what do you have to do for this job? And um, the swim test involved putting together their scuba equipment and jumping in their reef exhibit while feeding um, the marine life they had in the okay. while interacting with guests and maintaining your buoyancy um, 
and they had to tell me to get out of the water because I would not leave. I had so much fun with that swim test. Um, I didn't think I would get the job. So I felt like I really, the job was mine to lose. Mm. I was just, I put a hundred percent into that swim test Mm. and um, they called me in the parking lot and offered me the job. So I was there for two years um, and I loved every minute of it. When I look at my favorite jobs and you compile everything together, it was really a great time. Um, I moved to Orlando, I moved back to Florida. It's where I'm originally from, um, this Tampa Bay area. So I moved to Orlando, worked at Discovery Cove um, for 10 years. And I loved that. Um, my two boys were born as I was a senior one trainer there. So my my children have grown up in this industry. Um, That's yeah. amazing. That's amazing. So what attracts you specifically to, um, obviously, because Sea Life Park, I know Sea Life Park have um, some kind of show element as well, but it seems like you really enjoy the education aspect and bringing people in and sharing the animals with people through interaction programs. What draws, what drew you to that? So Sea Life Park, um, we, people look at different, and, and, and the attitudes are changing. Um, I work primarily with their rays and their sharks and their Hawaiian green sea turtles. And um, bringing the of those animals to the forefront gave people a different appreciation of the species. So I always enjoy um, bringing that connection to guests mm. because if they, I feel like if they care about it, they're gonna want to do more. and. In Hawaii, you know, having the green sea turtles come in and bask on the beach, or when you're snorkeling, having them be in the area and being able to educate um, on how to interact or not interact, more importantly, mm-hmm. with those animals, has been a passion of mine. I love seeing animals in their natural environment, um, but I, I don't want to harass them, and yeah. I, I want them to keep coming back. So I felt that that was um, important. It was important. Um, to get that messaging across at Discovery Cove, you know, introducing dolphins or any of the animals that you work with to guests and have them be able to look at those animals through your eyes and see how much you love them and the things that you find amazing about them and see that reflected back to you is, mm-hmm. is I think, a magic moment that we sometimes lose sight of, of how um, important that is that you make that connection with your your clientele with your guests um, because you want them to leave loving the animals as much as you do oh absolutely and um, you know I'll be the first one to admit that dolphin interaction programs are not my forte it's not my strength as a trainer um, and I was definitely very guilty of forgetting that you know for the guests this is a potentially a once in a lifetime moment for them whereas yeah. for, for me I was like oh this is just another day another not never really like another day at work because you're always working with dolphins and that's always quite special but I think the routine of the, the the repetition of it was never my forte um but that's great that you thrived and and you loved it I think there's so many different niches within this one industry that people can really uh play to their strengths I felt like in that moment it was well it's always been my 
passion to make sure that the animals have the best day possible. Yes. And if I felt burnt out doing interactions, you know, what am I projecting mm. to those animals? So mm-hmm. I, I love, obviously I love talking, um, but I loved having the opportunity to make that interaction different and unique. Yeah. Even if I did the same behaviors with that animal every time mm-hmm. it was able to be different and unique because of the guests I had coming in. And I, I love make, bridging that gap mm. yeah, and making sure my dolphins are having a great day and the guests are having a great day as well. Yeah. I think it's definitely a very unique position yes. that we can be put in, you know, to be able to, to gift that moment um, to people. But what first attracted you to potentially working at CMA? Where did that desire to move come from? So because I love interacting with guests so much, I have um, developed friendships and relationships throughout my career with different guests. And I remember um, some of my friends um, from England were visiting Discovery Cove. They wanted to come here and do a paint with winter program. Right. And I, I lived in the area, but was driving to Orlando. So on a good day, that drive was 90 minutes. Mm. On a bad day, it could take hours to get to and from work. Um, but I loved my job. Came here as a guest um, with the Ragsdale family and ran into one of our, Dr. Walsh was our vet at SeaWorld. Um, he is... Um, like I believe the head vet at University of Florida, the teaching programs, we still collaborate with him here um, at the aquarium. I ran into him here and he was like, they need someone like you here. And, you know, I felt for a moment that I was cheating on my boyfriend by even <laughs> considering leaving my job because I was happy. Um, but it was intriguing that that conversation um so 12 years later I'm here yeah um and there was no looking back and the experiences and the um, opportunities that that change has afforded me Mm. has been amazing what was the change of pace like going from Discovery Cove to CMA because they're they're quite different facilities with what they offer guests, like from, from the perspective of what you're potentially doing as a trainer? So across the board, I don't think our jobs really differ too much between an interactive facility and we do offer interactives here um, because your first priority is always your animal welfare and care and how do you provide the best of that hmm. no matter where you are. Um, so I felt like my job pressures did not change in that aspect. Mm-hmm. I'm here to provide the best care that I possibly can. Um, I remember when I first started, we might have had 40 guests that day in. And then right after the movie hit, it went to 4,000. I'm exaggerating on either end. It just felt that way. <laughs> yeah. So not only um, are you still facing the same animal need pressures, but now you still, you have a bigger guest impact. So when you moved there, Winter had already been rescued. Had the movie already been filmed? So Dolphin Tale 1 had been filmed already. Right. And they were um, wrapping up 
some of the post-production when I first started I started in April the movie came out I believe that September mm. so we had like a, a calm before the storm hit and then once that movie came out um it was it was amazing to see the transformation <laughs> in attendance yeah and winter you know was she was the star that brought a lot of people to right. cma and kind of you know in the general public's eyes at least put cma on the map she did um for anyone listening who isn't familiar with winter's story um because you know even though she has now passed on we we still should honor her memory and the legacy that she left and the incredible right. work that cma yep. has been able to do ever since um could you give us a little bit of um, background on Winter's Rescue? So she was rescued uh, December, I would say the 5th, um, 2005. And she was found on the east coast of Florida. And she was entangled in a crab trap line, which is the line that attaches the buoy so the fishermen can see to the actual trap itself. And it wrapped. Um, around her rostrum, through her mouth, all the way around her body, terminating at her tail flukes. And she was only estimated to be about uh, two months old when she was found. Um, the injury um, when she was brought in was so severe, one, they didn't think that she would live, um, and two, nobody expected her tail flukes to fall off, but her tail flukes were severely mm -hmm. damaged. The other injuries that she had, she it was cute, um, it affected her teeth. So she had little crooked teeth where the rope went through. She had a little scar on her mouth that kind of set her apart, you know, aesthetically, just for mm -hmm. like, called them like little birthmarks. Um, but her tail fell off about two weeks after coming in mm -hmm. for rehab. Um, that really shows how extensive the damage was that it, that it fell off by itself instead of being, you know- It was not amputated. Yeah. It was not amputated. It just, it was so necrotic. It just sort of melted away. And to be time. presented with, with a two month old dolphin who's just lost their tail, you know, she, she defied the odds from the very beginning. All of it. Like she, um, not having a mom, not having a social group, um, that she was familiar with or comfortable with, but her resiliency and her, um, strength to live was apparent. Um, and it was inspirational, inspirational to the staff and the people that were, um, that knew her. So when the movie came out, uh, for more people to get to know her in that way, even though it was a film, a lot of it revolved around her personality and her inner strength was true. What was her personality like from the point of a trainer? Because we all know that movies can exaggerate or, you know, change some facts and stuff, but from the point of view of a trainer, what was she, what was she really like? The, um, I'm a relationship driven trainer. The animals here are relationship driven animals. And with her, you had to fight to get her to like you a lot. Um, and once you were in, you were in, she taught me so much about what voluntary behaviors actually look like when you're training something. Mm -hmm. um, because if she didn't wanna do it and you asked her anyway, she could ruin your day. <laughs> <laughs> um, I often asked her, please act like somebody has trained you 
and has put love and time into you. Just need this one little thing. But she was probably one of the easier animals I've ever worked with. Um, and funny and stubborn and she just was amazing. Everything about her. What was it like, you know, obviously getting to know Winter and then the movie comes out and there's people all over the globe who suddenly also love her uh, and and have formed that connection with her and been inspired by her, you know, through watching this film. What was it then like to have people coming into CMA wanting to see Winter? Um, What I appreciated about this whole thing is I felt like it gave um it gave people a sense of inspiration a source mm-hmm. of inspiration and then coming here um and seeing her meant the world to a lot of people mm-hmm. and to be the facilitator of that the introductions and putting her and shining her in a light that your guests are coming for that inspiration. Um, it's life changing. It, and I, I don't mean that lightly. Mm-hmm. The people that I've met along the way, the families where, you know, it's a make a wish or it is somebody in hospice care or somebody that has always wanted to be a dolphin and, or amputees, military veterans, you name it. Any source of uh, trauma, she just represented so much to so many people. Yeah, to be a part of that um, and not be touched by that and more it brought more humanity and humility to my life it made me appreciate everything that I had my relationships with people it made me appreciate the job that I had and how lucky I felt I was um, to be a part of it yeah, and I think as well, you know, I love that you said the word the the humanity in it, um, because I think a lot of people who aren't in our industry potentially struggle to understand what these animals' lives really are like in our care. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Winter was a very, I don't want to say like an easy dolphin to understand, but her story was very clear cut, and yeah. it was it was easy to understand for people who aren't animal care professionals, you know. A dolphin that doesn't have a tail, that doesn't have a mum, is being cared for by CMA. And, you know, the only conclusion you can come to from that is that these people care and these people love winter and these people love their animals. And I think CMA has done such a fantastic job of continuing that message with all of the animals that they care for. And um, I think your reputation is one of the best in the world because you have been so I don't want to say like um specific with your messaging because it's just the truth like it is just what you guys do um but it comes across really really well um for everyone who visits and also for everyone who watches the movies every animal here has um has a story and what I appreciate about um Clearwater is the platform that we have to share those stories um, and hopefully the stories that the animals um, can relate helps their counterparts yeah in the ocean and um, 
respecting winter's legacy is is still something i try to practice every day you know meeting people finding out what they what they came here for and and still trying to be that open door for the community um, but we you know every, like i said every animal here has that story and how can we take their stories and connect it with our guests who might be seeking inspiration but also how can we take their stories and elevate the awareness in the community of what obstacles are out there for these animals in their natural environment marine debris you know winter getting caught in a crab trap that was you know abandoned you know things that we do as a species to the environment how can we how can we take the animals that are here um because they were rescued they all have a stranding story and some of those stories tie directly to human impact Mm -hmm. winter's a, a famous one um, Izzy's one of our newest residents, um, was a direct result of human interaction of why she is with us today. How can we take their stories and make the environment better for their counterparts? And I think, you know, that's an important mission of the, of the Clearwater Marine Aquarium. Yeah, and I think, you know, that the important words of connection and humanity, um, so important with communicating what's happening with the animals. And something that really surprised me actually um, over winter's passing was the way CMA communicated it to the public and the way you really showed how much you care about not only the people that loved winter, but also your staff. Yeah. Um, by putting them at the forefront and saying, look, we are grieving. We are closing our facility for the day because we need time to be ourselves and right. mourn. And, you know, we've lost a family member. And it's rare, honestly, to see that being communicated. And as a trainer myself, it really, like, I'm almost getting emotional about it. Like, it really hit me, oh my goodness, to see that CMA cared so much about their staff. Um, you know, through your career, there's moments in time where you're very proud of the facility that you work for and the people that you work with and the way that whole situation had been handled and subsequent situations have been handled. Um, I'm very proud of what we've done and how our management team and this organization has put their arms around, not just the trainers, it's hard for us, but you know, I'm not the only one that loved her and the team is not the only people. And even for our guests to have you know, memorial walls and opportunities for them to grieve alongside of us. It was, you know, you had to say it's an amazing experience, but um, it definitely was something that I was not used to in the 25 years that I've done this. And I'm hopeful that other facilities, and I do see it changing, Yeah, that it's being recognized that you sometimes spent, in my case, I know I did more time here than I do with my own family. Yep. And the um, amount of effort, I'm gonna get emotional, the amount of effort and love and discipline and education that we put into our careers and the animals that we are um, responsible for, yeah. you spend more time with them. And to recognize that loss as something that is real, and it is real. Yeah. Um, I said the other day, I feel, you know, she was my best friend for 11 years. 
that is a huge gap when it's not there. And we all have that animal in our lives that represents that for you. And it's a hard, hard thing to go through without support on feeling like you're not allowed to be emotional about it, or you're not allowed to express that loss. And it's just been the complete opposite. Um, we yeah. had counseling services. I know. Um, I saw that. That blew me away. And tell you from other facilities, like other facilities reaching out, which it, it's hard not to say you feel alone sometimes. And then something like this reels it all back in of what a tight community we are yeah. to support one another when we go through issues like this. So in the depths of those things, um, the beauty that is in it and the beauty that's come out of it, it's, it's been amazing to see. I hate yeah. it. <laughs> I wish I didn't have to go through that for this to happen. But I think as a, as a training community, as an animal care community, we're recognizing that loss is real and loss needs to be dealt with. And how can we support each other through those yeah. things? Um, I mean, it's the worst part of the job, but you know, it's, it's always going to be yeah. part of the job. And I'm extremely passionate, just like you said, you know, say the animals' names, tell their stories, yeah. let people connect to them because, you know, yes, even with the very best medical care that we have for them, you know, even with the very highest of welfare standards, if you work in the industry long enough, you are going to lose animals. Yeah. Um, you know, it's part of life. Death yeah. is part of life. And you know, we should communicate it. We should talk about them. It's not something that we should hide. Um, because I think the minute you start trying to hide something, people think there's something to be hidden yeah. when there really isn't. Um, so yeah, for me, it was a really freshing, raw and honest take on, you know, an animal's passing. Um, and I really hope that more, when we move forward, people can learn from it and say, you know what, this is, this is how it should be handled. I've seen such a change in the the couple years that it's we've gone by i've seen such a change in the industry recognizing that loss and being upfront and honest ahead of time as well that an animal's going through something so it's not this aha moment mm -hmm. um, when an animal does pass away yeah um, and obviously working um for a primarily rescue and rehab based and research facility um you guys see your fair share of extremely sick injured animals um what kind of toll does that take on you um for me personally it, it doesn't only because um my mindset is my job is to provide the best care and i'm going to throw whatever i can at whatever situation there is and that's how the team feels about it all um are dealing with you know, rehabbed animals, our rehab team does a great job of getting those animals either ready to be released or transferred to a new forever home. Um, there's going to be loss and, you know, that's hard, um, but there's a lot of pride that goes into that and a lot of skill, a lot of patience. And it's just, to me, it's all, all of a learning moment um, that you have and it's all worthwhile.
So what's the procedure when you guys get a call saying that there is an animal in distress or a stranded animal? How do you guys handle that? So we work um, very closely with um, the FWC and NOAA. So typically if someone were to call here, we would um, call those agencies and the, um, the effort is then con orchestrated by those two agencies. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. We're operated and our rescue team operates under their guidance. Um, so say an animal's over here, they can call us and say, can you send people out to monitor the situation? Or can you send stuff out? We're gonna assess on the beach, if the animal's ready to be transported. Can you help with transport? Do you have the space open uh, for rehab? What species is it? All those things are answered um, sort of before we go. We participate in disentanglements and you know observing different animals. Um, in our area that may need help. We have, right now it's manatee mating season. So there's a lot of calls about uh, manatee herds. So, uh, but typically they're orchestrated by those two governmental agencies. We would go out and, and provide assistance is whatever we're directed to do basically. Okay, because I think a lot of people don't really have, at least if they're not in the industry, um, have an idea of how, how it works. Um, how everything is organized. So if you if there is an animal who say is stranded and needs rescued and rehabbed, um, who's in charge of the decision of okay, this animal is going to come back to CMA or potentially if you guys don't have space, it's going to go elsewhere? That's a really great question uh, because I did not understand that either. <laughs> when I first started here, I was like, how does this all work? We have two different teams. We have our resident team and then we have our stranding rescue team. Um, our rescue department is completely off-site. That allows for uh, no cross-contamination. It's complete 100% quarantine area. Um, if an animal um, comes in for rehab and we're responsible for that rehab, um, NOAA oversees it, um, FWC as well, and there's criteria those animals have to meet before they can be released. If an animal is deemed unreleasable, um, there's application processes that need to happen in order to um, be granted that animal. So it's almost like an adoption. When you supply or submit your application, it's going to be reviewed and those animals are placed in the best facility for that animal. And they look at your um, pool systems, they look at your staffing, they look at your resources, they look at your social grouping, because they want to make sure the animals are put in the best place mm. possible. That takes what we want out of the equation, because you, you know, selfishly, if you rehab an animal, you want to remain as that animal's keeper. But if it's not in their best interest, where should that animal go to be best suited? So I appreciate that process. It takes that, oh, it takes that away from us. Yeah, definitely. I think it's really important for people to understand that these are decisions that are made by governing bodies and there's yeah, a lot we, of rules and protocols that are put in place for that. We have no control over it. We have zero control. So that's it's a big misconception out there that if you mm -hmm. rescue and rehab an animal that that animal is yours. It doesn't work that way. It's, it's a process. 
how do you find that the majority of um the rehabbed animals adjust if they've been deemed non-releasable and say cma becomes their permanent home how do they well obviously they've gone through a period of adjustment already you know through being rehabbed um but how how does that translate you know as a as a trainer as an animal keeper so i don't know what your experience is working with um calves or or inexperienced animals come having animals come in that have been stranded have some sort of special need um we at a time um i want to say had four or five animals that were hearing impaired and that's why they couldn't be released so modifying your training techniques to help their adjustment is huge um and each individual animal is treated as an individual so i can't say as like an overarching we treat them all the same and everybody has the same acclimation process. We have to look at each individual as an individual and tailor our strategies for success for that animal. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm, definitely. It was like, I was used to working with moms and babies and your training sessions were typically dictated by your moms <laughs> of how comfortable they were with you interacting with our babies and the babies, if there were other babies around would always wanna play with the babies and their attention spans were short. Um, I remember coming in and, and seeing Hope's repertoire at like six months old, how expansive it was. And I attributed that to, she was just fixated on the training staff. She had, you know, we were her whole life. It's a huge responsibility yeah. when you think of it that way. You want How to make sure. How old was Hope when she was rescued? Two months. Oh my goodness. Same as Winter. Yeah. Um, her mom, when they went to rescue Hope, she was um, with her mom who was already deceased. So, you know, working with bottle fed calves, teaching them how to eat, you know, the whole thing, it's a huge responsibility because that foundation that you lay early on is just you know is going to travel with them the rest yeah. of their lives so um you want to you want to get things right you don't always get it right um but you want to make sure you get it right for that individual and it, again it's tailored for each one we've had baby babies come in and we've had um, pj was in her 50s when she passed away so her training looked way different than hopes um because of her comfort level of doing things um, and her, her needs, she was also deaf. So training her um, came with specific challenges. Do you feel that um, the younger the animals are potentially rescued, the quicker they adapt? You know, it's just like us, it's individual because you can have a calf learn everything and then learn nothing. You know, it just depends on <laughs> how they learn and, and what you're able to to teach them. And what but is the I, importance of training? Because I think a lot of people, again, you know, don't understand well, why would you train these animals? You know, they're not there for public display. They're there because they've been rescued. Um, what is the importance of training them? The importance training them, they're going to be with us for the rest of their lives. You want to make sure that you're providing mental stimulation, physical stimulation, um, every day, you're 
social time with them, their social time with their conspecifics. You just want to make sure that everything that you're doing is setting that animal up to succeed under managed care for the rest of their lives. Um, and training is a, a integral part of that. You want them to participate in their sessions willingly and freely with all the choice and control that they can express. Um, building those trusting relationships only help you out as they grow older in your facility. Um, and just to keep the mental, I, th I think it more for me is that mental stability. You, they're very social animals. They enjoy, in my opinion, they seem to enjoy learning mm. new things. They seem to enjoy participating with you, you know, on a good day, 90% of the time. Um, but it's important that they're able to express their choice and control. It's also important that you keep them mentally and physically stimulated and socially throughout their lifetime. Yeah, definitely. And I think as well, um, you know, being able to train them is also helping you guys out a lot um, with the research that you're currently doing there, you know, being able yep. to ask these animals to participate in research that is helping their wild counterparts and helping scientists understand a little bit more um, about what's going on with the animals. So could you tell us a little bit about some of the research projects you guys are involved in? Absolutely. Um, I just want to say too, the trust that we do build up with them allow you to ask those questions. Um, the animals, you know, we are doing some research with Andreas with um, respiratory function with the rough tooth dolphins that translated into coming over with our bottlenose who had never seen the contraption um, that he had, the equipment. Um, but we were able to work with both sets, of, both groups of our animals. Um, I think that's important. We work with Erin Frick from Eckerd College. Um, she's doing behavioral analysis on the rough tooth. Um, this species in particular is a deep water um, off of the continental shelf, rarely observed. We're one of two facilities that have them under managed care. So there's a lot to learn for their care under human care, as well as what information can we garner from them to help their counterparts. Um, it's been interesting that most of the animals that come in that are rough tooth are deaf in what is causing that deafness with them. So if there's research out there that we can help participate in, we're always willing um, to, do, to do or participate in that just so we can maybe help answer some of those questions. Um, with our bottlenose right now, we're doing some echolocation research um, with Nicholas. Um, he is a star. Um, he's one of those animals that really enjoys those cognitive challenges. And the trust that we have with him and he has with us, he wears his eye cups, his D tags, and he is, he is a star when it comes to that. They all are. Um, I love, I feel like CMA almost has a front row seat to what is, I don't want to say what's truly important in, in what we stand for and what we do as zoological um, institutions, but, you know, you guys are seeing the damage that humans are doing to the oceans and the danger that these animals are in just by simply living in their natural habitat. And then you're trying to inspire people 
to then protect them and then additionally you guys are researching the animals that you have to try and figure out how to protect those wild counterparts it's it's almost like you guys are very like that I don't even know what I'm trying to say <laughs> like yeah. it's, it's a very um yeah like you guys have like a front row seat to it you're very active in it very involved in it I don't I don't know what I'm saying <laughs> I would say recently um we've been able to um, collaborate in our community a lot more than we had in the past. Um, we do see the importance of the collection that we have is very unique. And we're fortunate to have the animals that we have that hopefully this collaboration with other facilities, mm. with researchers, um, not only can help the wild counterparts, but animals that are in the other facilities mm -hmm. as well. I mean, um, I think as a community, helping each other and collaborating with one another only propels the industry more so if we're able to participate in that we're very happy to take that role um, as a collaborator a participator whatever we can do um, we're willing to help out i think that's an amazing message to finish this with um mel thank you so much well, thank you for sharing so much with us um of not only yourself but also the animals that you've worked with um and if anyone listening to this has been inspired by any of the stories um you guys can definitely get involved and uh all of the links to cma will be in the description below but camille thank you so much thank you um it's been a pleasure um talking to you today and um if you ever want to do this again i'm always happy um, to chat. It was a good conversation. Um, I, we probably could go on for hours. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Easily. You like keep it. That's always my problem. Whenever I have, um, marine mammal based guests on like the, we just, we just talk and talk and talk. Uh, cause yeah. it's what we love. It's what we love. Um, and I love sharing that with, with others. And I like to hear, um, how much they love what they do as well. We have a, if you look at it, how lucky we are to be doing what we're doing every day. Mm -hmm. Look around. Our offices are not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like my office a lot. And um, I like my coworkers. I love my coworkers. That's important. Yes. That's important. my bosses. I should say my bosses are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have enjoyed this week's episode, then please don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe, and I will catch you all next week.